0: Years ago, I had the opportunity to film a master sculptor at work, and sculptures are incredible works of art. And you could see, you know, these sculptures of football players and celebrities and and uh, dancers and all these uh, amazing works of art that look pretty realistic all around his workshop. And what's fascinating is every single one of these began as a block of clay. To the average person a block of clay looks dull, unimpressive, and honestly ugly. It's hard to believe that this is actually going to turn into a work of beauty, but it's the skill of a sculptor and his ability to see beauty in that lump, to see what that lump could be. That is what takes something that looks dull and unimpressive and brings it into something more glorious. And Haggai, who's a prophet, is tasked to call His people, the exiles who have returned after about 70 years in exile in Babylon. So that's the 70 years, the the time period where Daniel uh, was living. He's bringing these returned exiles back to the land, back to Jerusalem. And he's calling them to rebuild God's temple, which now lies in ruins. Now, the people are discouraged. In fact, they stop the rebuilding project because they're so discouraged at how it looks that they don't see a point in continuing. All they see is a lump of clay. They just see a bare foundation with no glory or majesty. But Haggai reminds them that God is the master sculptor. And what they see is clay, dull, unimpressive, ugly, will one day be filled with glory. This is the promise of God for his people. This is Understanding Haggai. Haggai chapter 2 contains three addresses. The first is verses 1 through 9, and it's an address to all of Israel about God's promise to fill the temple with a greater glory than before. The second address, verses 10 to 19, is a call for the priesthood to be holy. And the third and final address, verses 20 to 23, is a direct prophecy to Zerubbabel, the governor of the return exiles, about God judging the nations and restoring the Davidic kingdom. This is Haggai chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. On the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these... Does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, There were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on I will Bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth, and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations, and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you. O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. The first address is to Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and the returned exiles. And it begins with a question, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? That's verse three. Now, many of the returned exiles grew up in Babylon and never saw the glory of the first temple, the temple built by Solomon. But there were some who lived long enough to remember its splendor, and their memory of that massive, majestic temple makes the current rebuilding project pale in comparison. It just doesn't seem to have the same glory that the first temple had. So God responds by commanding his people to take heart. Don't be afraid. Why? because I am with you, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So we have the word of God and the spirit of God coming to uh, drive his people forward and to comfort them in the midst of their disappointment. The word of God, his covenant, and the spirit of God act on their behalf, just like God did during the Exodus. So There's a direct reference. He's saying, I'm with you, just like I was with you when you came out of Egypt. And I made a covenant with you. I made promises of blessing and curses to you. You're going to be my people. And how did I guide you? It was by my spirit, a cloud of dust during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And my spirit still remains with you. I am still with you. I'm the same God of the Exodus. God is going to restore his kingdom on earth by shaking the nations gathering the coins that fall out and placing them in the hands of his people. And he will give this rebuilt temple a glory that surpasses the old one. But God's presence will not abide with sin. Therefore, the priesthood, remember, whose, whose corruption pretty much brought the exile upon Jerusalem, must pursue holiness. The priesthood, they are the leaders of the religious life of Israel. The second address to the priesthood begins with another question. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? Right? If you, if you take the, the meat used for sacrifices and you put it in your shirt or put it in some cloth and, and then you touch with that cloth something else, does that make that thing holy? Well, the answer is no. Holiness is not contagious. You don't become holy by physical contact or by being close to a priest or by being in the temple. Holiness is a matter of the heart working itself out in our actions. Uncleanness, however, is contagious. If you are touching something that's unclean, a dead body or someone with leprosy, you become unclean. You become contaminated. And these are all references to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. Leviticus prohibits contact with dead bodies and and, and diseases and different kinds of unclean things because they contaminate life. They demonstrate the effects of the fall. So to be unclean is not necessarily to be in sin, but it is to be tainted by things that are the effects of death. And the priesthood, in their uncleanness, in their lack of honoring the holy things of God, have assumed that the presence of the temple made them holy when in fact their unclean hands tainted everything they did. In the book of Ezekiel, he actually sees a vision where he goes into the temple and he sees that it's completely corrupted with all these idols and these priests worshiping them. That's that's the idea of, of the, the impurity and the corruption of this of this class of people. And Haggai, or rather the Lord through Haggai, is warning the priests to don't make that same mistake. You need to be holy. And this is the reason why God has struck Judah with the curse of futility. This is why the land did not yield the fruit of their labor. And this leads to the third and final address of chapter two. God speaks directly to Zerubbabel and tells him that God has given a promise to his people. And it's actually a, a, a re- repeat of, of the uh, promise that God gave to Haggai in, verses, in chapter two, verses six through nine. Uh, and this promise is that God's going to shake the heavens and the earth, and he's going to overthrow the kingdoms. Now, this is a reference to the day of the Lord. Now, if you've been listening to this series, you've probably heard that phrase a million times. Remember, the day of the Lord is an historic act of God's judgment, particularly as it relates to Jerusalem, that leads to salvation. So this can be uh, actual judgments within time, or it can be a reference to the final judgment at the end of time when, when God judges all the nations and brings in the new heavens and new earth. Now, in the coming centuries... God is going to shake up the kingdoms of the world. So in history, we see that right now the returned exiles, they are in Jerusalem, in Judah, but they are under the reign of the Persians. Well, the Persians are going to fall to Alexander the Great and be part of the Greek Empire. And then the Greek Empire will fall to Rome, and that's going to create the Roman Empire. So God is literally in time and space shaking up the order of the nations. And this is all a foretaste of God's eventual judgment of all the nations. And the point is this. The day of the Lord is meant to show that no army, no chariots, no military can withstand the judgment of God. So Haggai ends with a promise to Zerubbabel. He says that he will be like a signet ring, a chosen one for the Lord of hosts. So Zerubbabel comes from the line of David. And even though Judah has no king, so the last king uh, of Israel was basically killed, or rather, actually, his sons were killed in front of him, and he was taken to be a captive. But there's no, there's no lineage anymore, at least no lineage on the throne. But there are still descendants of David living. So David's bloodline continues, even though there is no official king of Israel. Now, here's the implication. If there is still a bloodline of David, then there must still be a future for the throne of David, And if there's a future for the throne of David, then there's a future for the kingdom of God. So this continues the messianic expectations of Israel, and it goes all the way into the first century. This is why the disciples, when they saw Jesus, they were thinking, are you going to bring the kingdom? Is this it? You're the Davidic son. You're the descendant of David. You are Jesus, the Christ. Christ meaning the anointed one, a royal title. And Jesus begins preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. So you can imagine the excitement. You can imagine why they're thinking, this is it. We're going we're gonna to roll into Jerusalem and we're going to wipe out the Romans. We're going we're gonna to make everything right. This is the time of renewal. It's finally coming. But Jesus doesn't really live up to their expectations. But he does some things that are really interesting. He, he is able to remain undefiled when he touches the unclean. The unclean do not make him unclean when he touches the woman with uh, the bloody discharge when he touches the dead girl when he heals men with leprosy he is not made unclean but rather he can make them clean and to the surprise of all jesus actually condemns the rebuilt temple to destruction the second temple became this source of religious corruption it was no longer the symbol of God's presence. It was actually a symbol of the rebellion of Israel. And because of that, Jesus on the, the Mount of Olives discourse, the Olivet Discourse, actually proclaims judgment on the temple. And you can imagine if you're a disciple, you're like, what are you talking about? I thought this whole thing was about the temple. But what they didn't recognize was that Jesus Christ was the true temple. It's in his body, the true meaning place between God and man. That the true temple resides. And when he speaks about the temple dying and being raised, he's talking about his own body. In his death and resurrection by the Holy Spirit, he has been enthroned as the Davidic king over all the nations. And we live under his reign today. And we call the nations to repent before his day of judgment shakes them. And we are also strengthened like Judah with the word and the spirit. And his word and spirit form a new temple in Christ. So Christ is the temple and we are in Christ. Therefore, we are a living temple. And that's what we see throughout the New Testament. We're a living temple made up not of stones, but living stones. People transformed by God's grace. Here's what this means. The church is not some organization Christians decided to form to fulfill their religious obligations. It's not a country club for people who are interested in religious stuff, and we just pick a date and we gather there and talk. The church is God's creation. His own people are bound together by the Word and the Spirit to testify to the world that Jesus is Lord. That's the significance of what happens on Sunday morning. And you might look at your church, and maybe it's not that glorious. Maybe some people are weird. Maybe you're weird. But in this ragtag group of redeemed sinners struggling their way through life, going through trials, trying to figure it out. You might see a lump of clay. But what does God see? God, the master sculptor, sees something glorious. A glorious bride that he is preparing for his son. So Haggai is reminding his people, God is faithful. The plan of God is going to come to pass, but it might not look like it right now. You might just see the ruins of a temple, but there's a greater temple coming. There is one who will be the perfect temple of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will bring in the renewal that our hearts desire. If you enjoyed this podcast, if it helped you out, make sure you subscribe to the 4 Oaks Midtown podcast and leave us a review. That really helps. And if you want to find more of these teachings, you can go to 4 slash teachings and you can see all the prior teachings that I've done on the prophets. We're going to be taking a short little break Uh, in releasing these episodes, but we will be back and we're going to go through Zechariah and hopefully finish off uh, all of the minor prophets. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.